0: Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Well, hey there, it's Nico. By now, you probably know who I am, but awkwardly, I know a whole lot less about you. So many of you tell me that you're listening to the show and I really want to know you more. Who are you? Why are you tuning in? What do you want most from Suncast? Let us know by going to mysuncast.com forward slash survey. It takes just five minutes, and we'll read every answer. That's mysuncast.com forward slash survey. All right, here's the show. Hey there, solar warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth so thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe hey there solar warriors climate crusaders career champions infinite learners i am so grateful that you've chosen to give me the only non-renewable resource that you have and that is your time so lend me your earballs for the next hour and i promise not to disappoint today's entrepreneur is a new friend of mine introduced by our friends tara doyle and amanda Bivy. so grateful as always when others help bring to light folks that we should be chatting with here on suncast ebony seymour is the associate vice president at GQR. If you're unfamiliar with GQR or Ebony, well, then you are in for a treat. We're going to go deep into how Ebony rose from associate to associate vice president in the recruiting world and how she's adding value to private equity, investment banking, in the renewable sector and infrastructure and the many, many ways that she has self-educated herself and Help educate others about how the renewable energy world works. Ebony is adding value on multiple levels for companies that trust her to bring talent to the table. So if you are looking for talent or if you yourself are talented at trying to find your way through the quagmire of information of how do I get into the clean energy business, today's interview is for you. I invite you to... Listen in as Ebony talks about how long it took her to get up the learning curve and so much more detail around how she advises for interviews, how she sets the stage, the kinds of people she looks for, the kinds of roles that she sees being recruited for, the type of learner that she is and how that can inform your thoughtfulness about your own career path and job search. She goes into asking the right questions and some of the wrong questions, differences in career paths, what makes a good recruiter, and so, so much more. I do hope you'll stick around, and I know that you're going to get a lot out of this episode. And if you do, in fact, love this episode and are looking for more, might I encourage you to go check out the nearly 300 additional founder stories and startup advice over at mysuncast.com, or you can check out the entire back catalog and whatever podcast player you might be enjoying, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, we're in uh, where you listen. And I encourage you to sign up for notifications at MySuncast.com by subscribing to our newsletter. For now, get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune in to another powerful conversation with an amazing female leader in the clean energy business here on Suncast. All right, Solar Warriors, we are continuing our conversations about career change and in particular hiring. Uh, As you know, we've got the Career Summit at hand and I wanted to bring another expert into the conversation who has a deep amount of experience thinking about hiring into renewables, specifically Uh, around the topic of diversity and inclusion, but also hiring into the banking and M&A and infrastructure side of the industry. Ebony Seymour was introduced by a dear friend, Tara Doyle, and I'm super grateful for that introduction. Hat tip to Tara, always bringing quality individuals in to Suncast. Ebony is Associate Vice President at GQR, well-known recruiting company in our industry and in the infrastructure and, and, and advisory business broadly, and she has spent the last year or so really digging into the renewable space. Today, we're going to understand a little bit more what she's learned and how she approaches this business, perhaps differently than others. Ebony, welcome to SunCast.
1: Thank you, Nico. I'm happy to be here.
0: What got you into recruiting at all? how did you find your way into recruiting and renewables?
1: I used to work at AT&T in the store um, selling cell phone service, and I worked with a woman who was upgrading her phone and getting new phones for her family. Um, and throughout our conversation and just me helping her, um, she told me, I don't know what you want to be when you grow up, but if I were to make a suggestion, it would be either go into pharmaceutical sales or recruitment. And I didn't quite know what she meant by that, but came to a point in my career where I needed to make a change. And I thought back to that kind of strange conversation. Um, and I said to myself, well, let's try recruitment. And I found GQR. I didn't know what what industry I would be recruiting in, but day one, they said, you're going to be recruiting in renewable energy. So I learned about it.
0: So you had to parachute in and, and figure things out on the way down. What were some of the early learnings and resources that, helped you along your way?
1: I read a lot of articles. Google was absolutely my best friend, still is my best friend. Uh Uh-huh. But I researched quite a bit online to understand exactly what solar energy was, to understand why it was important, to understand why it was kind of a, a combat to oil and gas. And then I had to learn about how a solar farm was actually developed and constructed and financed. And it was all just mesmerizing. So been countless hours in the office till nine PM. Some days just researching. Um, and Green Tech Media, I would say, was a huge resource for me.
0: Yeah, as as it has been for so many of us. I'd love to know how did you go about learning the softer side, the the how a solar farm is developed
1: and built and financed. I was a recruiter who was very aggressive with the phone. Um, so I would call through companies, and I would talk to. Every person that I could at that organization to get an understanding of exactly what they do and why they do it um, and how it relates in the life cycle of a solar project. And through countless, countless conversations from individuals that were project engineers to project managers to developers to project finance, um, I really gathered the whole scope of what it goes what goes into building a solar farm um, and understanding the industry from that standpoint.
0: How long did that take?
1: I would say probably nine months, to be honest. I think I had a general understanding of the whole life cycle. But for me to feel like I could do a podcast even um, back then, or for me to feel like I could talk to the CEO of a company and feel confident with proving that I knew about the industry, probably about nine months.
0: Yeah. Do you feel like that's faster than normal? No, no, no.
1: I think it was slow. And honestly, I think it was slow because I'm, I took, (laughs) we take this test in our leadership training for work and it tells you the type of learner that you are. And I'm what you would consider a reflector. So I have to do a lot of research and learn things directly before I will go out and try to teach someone or try to tell someone about that. Um, So for me, I felt like I had to really become an expert in the industry before I could recruit people and know whether or not someone was good for a role.
0: Have you ever had any specific coaching practice or training or consulting training for that matter?
1: I wouldn't say that I've had like formal training. We do coaching internally. So we've had a consultant come in to create a training program for leadership for our business. Um, So I've gone through that coaching and training Um, from a leadership development standpoint. One of the things that I have kind of on my to-do list is to actually get a certificate in coaching.
0: For those who haven't been through a leadership consulting or coaching training program, what are the maybe two or three things that you took away from that that really help you in your day-to-day work?
1: So one of the things that we really learned and and sticks out to me is Stephen Covey's seven habits of effective leadership. The one that that we talked about the most um, is seek first to understand, then to be understood, which is something that I think we often struggle with. And by we, I mean everyone, where we don't ask the right questions to truly understand someone and to understand motivation behind someone. That's always been something that people tell me, you ask too many questions. And I respond, you can never ask too many questions because you can never stop learning about someone or something. Here, here,
0: <laughs> yep. I, it's, we are definitely in, in vehement agreement on that. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, to that end, this is—I'd love to uh, unpack that a bit more. Yeah. What are some of these uh, provocative questions that perhaps you'd put the label right? on uh, or upon, when you speak of asking the right questions, what does that sound like?
1: So especially in recruitment and when people are taking a look at their career and what's next, I ask them questions like, what's your, what's your proudest moment of your career thus far? I ask them, if you could go back five years, what would you do differently? I ask them, if you think about the next three to five years of your life, what are some of the things that you want to accomplish and who can help you? get there. Mm-hmm. I'll ask them, what do you love about your current role? And if you could change something, if you had the power to change it, what would you change and why? But also how long would it take?
0: Oh, how long could it, would it take? That's a really, that's a really thoughtful. What do you learn there?
1: I learned that people have unrealistic expectations. I think we live in a society where people, people think that things are going to come to them very fast. People lack patience. One of the things that my grandmother used to always tell me was patience is a virtue, baby. (laughs) And I would hate when she would tell me that. But at the same time, she was so right. You know, if I had given up recruitment within those nine months where I felt like I knew nothing, then I wouldn't be where I am today. And I'm so grateful that I didn't give up and I wanted to very badly. And I didn't. And my manager was a huge part of that. And I'm so appreciative of that. So patience is huge.
0: I love the thread that we were on. And uh, I don't want to unduly interrupt that process. What do you love about your current role? And what would you change about it? I thought it was a very provocative question. That's something that I haven't uh, I haven't, ca- haven't encountered um, as a thought model. Uh, and I love that. Any what? What else? Any two or three more that you dig into?
1: I do. I ask people what their dream job would be. So if money didn't matter, what would you do? And I think that's just kind of a random one that I always ask just to get to understand what, what makes someone tick.
0: What's the craziest answer you've gotten?
1: I wouldn't say that I've gotten any crazy answers. I mean, I have, but I wouldn't say them on this podcast. <sighs> no, say them.
0: <laughs> nobody. That's exactly why I'm asking. You have to say it now. Everyone's listening.
1: <laughs> oh, man.
0: <laughs> What's the crazy? It's totally fine because like nobody, we don't get to peer behind the veil like this. It's totally fine. Lay it out there. Nobody's going to know. Who you're talking about, it's doubtful that person is listening. And if they are, we're not disclosing who they are. So, I mean, an idea, an example of crazy is like somebody is working as a lineman and they, uh, they actually want to be uh, a chief financial officer, right? And while we, you and I can see through that not being crazy, most people that are that guy's peer or that girl's peer would say, what? Like, yeah. you're a lineman. <laughs> <laughs> right? There's a whole different career path that you missed because you didn't go do these things, which is a fallacy in and of itself. That's yeah. why I'm asking this question. Like, what are some of the outlandish, asynchronous, I didn't expect to have this conversation with you types of job changes that people were yeah. were expecting to your point of people being unrealistic?
1: I've, I've had individuals that when I was recruiting in like the EPC space and they, they would be like electricians or solar installers. And they would tell me, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to be an attorney, or I'm going to be a doctor, and it wasn't. It wasn't like I want to be that person and say you can't do that. But I would ask questions like, "Oh, that's great. Are you in school now? Where are you studying? How How are you going to get there?" And they'd be like, "I don't know, but I'll I'll get there." I'll no like,
0: plan. No plan. Yeah.
1: Interesting. So yeah, you know, that's
0: another. That's another. Another Covey leadership. Uh, principle, right? Start with the end in mind.
1: You know, as crazy as it may sound, that people throw those things out there. At one point in time, I was that same person where I would say I want to be this, and maybe you you don't get to that point. Life will throw you all around, but you'll get somewhere great. So I never discount what they want to do, but I'll give them direction or connect them to someone that's in that role and say, Hey, you should talk to this person. Um, that's good. And ask them how they got to where they are and. and See how realistic it is for you.
0: Yeah, never a Debbie Downer. And hey, you should try that one on for size. What career path did you not go down, but perhaps always thought you would?
1: Yeah, I had two. Mm -hmm. So when I was a little girl, (laughs) um, I wanted to be an attorney. And mainly because me and my brother were four years apart, and we would kind of argue, and he would be like, you need to be an attorney since you want to argue so bad.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Professional argument maker.
1: So (laughs) That was probably like my dream one. Um, Uh And then going into college, I wanted to be an anesthesiologist because I love pregnant women, still love pregnant women. And I thought that that was going to be a great career path until I had to have a spinal tap. And I was like, I can't do this to
0: someone else. Wow. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Talk about uh, OJT, o- o- right? <laughs> 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 That'd be like pre-job training. You have to yeah. get the real world experience of what yeah. this looks like. Man. Well, you did not become an attorney. You did not become an anesthesiologist. And despite it being a side hobby that you're, you're apparently quite uh, good at, you did not become an interior designer as a profession. What then makes you In your assessment, um, perhaps other feedback that you've gotten, what makes you a good recruiter?
1: I love helping people. I love learning about people and their motivations and their career path. And I, I think recruitment gives me the opportunity to do what I love, which is just talking to people. And even if I tell them a story about myself, there are so many people that have come back to me and said, you inspired me to do this or you know, I wouldn't have my job today if it wasn't for you. And I'm like, well, I didn't even place you. And yeah. They're like, but we had our conversation, and when I did get this job, I negotiated my salary up because of our conversation. I'm like, wow, okay, that's cool. Very
0: cool, very yeah. cool. So I sense from you, and it's been affirmed by others who've worked with you, that you really enjoy uh, what it is that you are about now, and that you feel like you're really standing in what you, in many ways, were meant to do. In that light, what is important about the work that you do?
1: I think in some ways I stand as a voice to people that sometimes don't know how to speak up for themselves. Hmm. I say that because I work with a a lot of clients that are considered, you know, elite in the industry. Um, And I speak to some candidates and sometimes I'll, I'll say, you know, what are some of the target companies that you want to work for and they'll throw out these names of companies that I've recruited for before and I'm like that's great let's get you there and they're like oh well I don't I don't have this experience or well I I haven't done this and I don't think that they will like this about my background sometimes I'm like what <laughs> who cares I'll, I'll tell them why they need to talk to you all you need is a conversation and once they talk to you it'll be fine
0: yeah that's right. Um, this is so powerful of why people... I'm sorry I'm going to interrupt, but no. I see so many people who forego or they're even afraid of the process of engaging with a recruiter and they're like, nah, I don't need a recruiter. I got a good network. And it's like, no, you, I don't think you understand that the work that a good recruiter can help you do yeah. to unpack your story and to grease the skids, to like open that door for you to speak on your behalf so that when you get in, you, you're not trying to justify why you're in the call. I love that. You know, one of the things that you alluded to. And the answer is something that we all deal with. And I say it all the time on Suncast. we all suffer from imposter syndrome. I don't know a single, I don't know a single CEO or founder of a company that I've ever met who didn't at some point and at many points most often doubt who they are, why they're there, why people believe or follow them, even though they may seem like the most gregarious uh, or outgoing uh, or confident individual. How do you help folks overcome that imposter syndrome? What are some practical tips?
1: Oftentimes I tell people to write down the things that they're proud of. And I think that gives them the opportunity to self-identify what they're proud of. And then I may tell them things that I'm proud of them for. And I think coming from what some people would consider a stranger um, in a sense, I think that it just helps them see things from a different light. So even if it's our, you know, most of the time by the third conversation with someone, I feel like, OK, this is someone that I know I'm going to work with. Right. And by that time, I'm like, well, you know, do you mind me? I'm, I'm a bit blunt and candor. Do you mind that? And they'll say, oh, no, tell me. I'm like, perfect. And then I'll tell them, like, look, these are the things that maybe a hiring manager would turn their turn their head on. Right. These things. Oh, these are amazing things. And if you just talk about these with this company, guarantee they will love it. And they'll be like, really? I'm like, yes, you've got it. You've got all of it. You just need to talk about it. And maybe you just need someone to tell you what part of your experience or your background or your story that you should talk about the most that hiring managers will really appreciate.
0: That mentorship is so acute and it's so critical. And I, I find that so few people take that opportunity I have the pleasure and joy, as as you do, uh, that people reach out to me all the time asking for that sort of advice. Reflecting a bit what you just said, my advice to them is you know, you got to find that self-identity and it's helpful to have someone be your mirror so that you can be introspective and self-reflective. Talk about the star qualities that you believe you see in yourself and ask your mirror, the person that you're engaging with, to reinforce whether those things you see are Are clear uh, or whether you're not seeing them clearly. But so many people do all the work and you can't see me uh, in the podcast, but up here in their head uh, and they don't put it down on paper. Like you said, write down the things that you're proud of. Did you know that studies have shown that uh, typing activates part of the neural network of your brain that's very analytical, but writing with your hand connects with your heart. And there are Like there are studies that show that when you write it physically with your hand, you remember it better and that you have a a deeper connection with what you've written.
1: When I first started my job, they would always tell me to type everything. And when I would have conversations with candidates, sometimes I would go in a room and I would have my notebook and paper. And instead of typing, I would write it down. And like you said, it made me remember so much more about those candidates, or those clients when I would talk to them. So you're so right. I write so much now um, per my therapist. He's like, you need a journal and to just write.
0: <laughs> How do you help someone find their ideal role? Is there anything that we've missed? Is there anything that we haven't talked about that is part of your toolkit?
1: You know, honestly, I, I always just, number one, get the information of what they're passionate about and where they see themselves in three to five years. I ask them about target companies or the type of company, the type of culture that's important to them. And then I asked them, if you could teach someone else, or if you could bring someone with you on your journey, what, what would that journey be? Would it be working at a solar developer, or would it be working at a private equity firm? What would you want to be able to teach them about your journey, if that makes sense?
0: What are you trying to help them unpack right there?
1: I think I feel like people tell you, once you can teach something, that's when you know that you've learned it. And so if you know what your career path is, right? So recruitment is is very good for me. Until I can teach someone recruitment or until I want to mentor someone in recruitment, then I feel like I haven't taken it to the next level. So I feel like if someone thinks to themselves, "Ah, I I would want to be in private equity and teach someone else about private equity and infrastructure because this is what I'm passionate about. Then it shows me that they see a future in it as well.
0: Yeah. So here's one thing that I hear the negative Nelly in our prospective uh, clients and listeners saying to themselves. But but I'm moving into a new area. I'm coming out of I'm coming out of oil and gas, and I don't know anything that I would want to teach because I don't know anything. I'm starting at the bottom. How do I even put my mind around that?
1: You don't start at the bottom. You have to start at the end. You keep the end in mind, right? You think about what your end goal is. And even if you haven't gotten there yet, the key word is yet, you will get there. Tell me from your future thinking, you're there. What do you want to teach the next person?
0: So one of my past guests, uh, I refer to this a fair amount, um, certainly in private and sometimes here on the show, but uh, John Shamanis, for those who haven't listened to that episode, it's well worth listening. If you are going to change jobs, you should do only one of two things in in a career change. You can only change one of the following two, either your vertical, like from ops to management or or excuse me, from ops to finance or from accounting to HR um, or your industry from oil and gas to uh, aerospace, from telecom to banking, Uh, but never the two shall meet. You can't change from HR in oil and gas to project development in solar. That's a disaster in waiting. So how do you help someone unpack which piece is the right next step and what are their transferable skills?
1: I think for me, it's oftentimes leading someone to know that when you ask them about their previous role and you ask them about the things that they liked about that role. Oftentimes I'll take the things that they like about that role and compare it to the industry that they wanna switch to, right? So if they're in oil and gas and they did project management and they loved overseeing the build out of a project, then I was like, oh, so you probably wanna be in construction then for the renewable space because that will still tie into the experience that you have overseeing the build out, but now you're just learning the renewable energy nuances versus learning the construction piece as well. So then it's an easier transition and oftentimes, once you get into a company, you can always move around within that company just by going and let's say you're, you're in construction now, but you want to be in finance. You think it's ways away, but if you go to someone on the finance team and say, hey, I'd love to do a one-on-one with you and just sit and watch what you do so that I can learn a little bit. If you do that, someone will be like, oh my gosh, yes, I've been waiting for someone to come and ask to sit next to me and for me to teach them. It's a way for them to learn, but it's also an opportunity for that person to now teach. And you could open up a whole realm of things even for that person through you going to ask them to teach you something.
0: Hey, have you been looking for a clever way to get on Suncast? Well, here's your chance. We've got a new segment called Suncast Weekly Roundup, presented by LG Solar, and it's a part of the all-new microconference experience at North America Smart Energy Week 2020. You can learn more at mysuncast.com forward slash SPI 2020. You can register with our discount code to get 15% off. You can share your takeaways for a chance to win fun prizes and follow along. And as I said, you never know, you might even end up on one of the segments but you got to participate to win hope you'll join us mysuncast.com forward slash spi 2020 see you there have you been searching for that perfect rule that gets you into clean energy or maybe transitions your career to the next level might i invite you to check out light source bp that's right the global company focused on solar energy and low carbon economies backed by one of the largest energy companies in the world. From strategy around the world to action locally, you can be inspired and be the change by joining Lightsource BP. By choosing a career at Lightsource BP, you will join a team that truly cares about creating a more sustainable future for our world through safe and meaningful low carbon energy projects. Learn more and find out what career awaits you at lightsourcebp.com forward slash careers. Hey there, commercial solar warriors. If you listen to this show, then by now you're very familiar that Extensible Energy's Demandex load flexibility software helps close more deals and faster by shifting to lower time of use rates and saving your customers 30% in annual demand charges, all at a 10th of the cost of battery-based solutions. But did you know that Extensible also has a new solar partner loyalty incentive program that rewards your sales team with a generous sales bonus. Well, for now, until the end of the year, when you complete just three successful Demand X installs, your sales team member will get a $2,500 check or vacation voucher for when we all do get to travel again. This program also applies to your past customers who already have solar and could benefit from DemandX extra savings. Just contact Extensible Energy at extensibleenergy.com forward slash suncast to become a x reseller and get all the program details and benefits for yourself again that's extensibleenergy.com forward slash suncast one of the ways that you have really shown up in your role for those who haven't guessed ebony seymour is a female she's also an african-american female living in the los angeles area and a lot of your work lately and I would say probably logically um, and a natural fit for you is around diversity and inclusion this summer, probably more than ever. You have uh, an amazing opportunity and one that is hard for a lot of folks in your role in similar companies. It's hard for them to take action on. It's hard for me, 41-year-old white man, to take action on, um, try Mm -hmm. though though I do. Where do you see the rubber meeting the road on this, like this topic around diversity and inclusion, the hiring work in the hiring, uh, especially given that over the next 10 years, we need to hire hundreds of thousands, millions of people into this industry and equity of job roles is important. It's imminent. How do you incorporate that into your work?
1: You know, I think, so there's multiple ways that I incorporate it. One is just by being a little bit of a soundboard, because I have been in this industry, I have clients and hiring managers that will reach out to me and say, you know, we want to make a hire and we want to focus on diversity. And I'm like, well, it's a great topic, right? And I make sure to ask them questions about the current makeup of their company, but also how they're looking to attract diverse talent and I think one of the things that I've realized is that people want want to move in the right direction for diversity and inclusion, but fail to realize the inequality that already exists. And the truth of the matter is in order for people to attract diverse talent, and this may sound bad in a sense, um, but they have to lower their standards a bit because especially Black people, we just don't have the same access and opportunities as others. Um, so I tell hiring managers oftentimes like, well, if you want to hire you know, someone from a diverse background, especially if you want to hire a Black person specifically, then you're going to have to be willing to literally take a chance on someone and teach them versus saying i need someone that has this experience because you're not going to find someone with that experience
0: uh so that's well and good and does that mean then that it it really is going to be for a while the bastion of those companies that already have some sort of in-house education program or have the sort of the financial wherewithal to withstand six months of of learning on the job i mean how do how do you qualify with a company, whether or not they're ready to hire from this more expanded version of uh, of, of a candidate pool than they're, than they're p- perhaps used to?
1: You know, they have. I, I do believe that a, an organization should be pretty established, um, because obviously, if you think of it from a business standpoint, it is a, a big business decision to take on individuals that need to be trained. But at the same time, people always have to go through training. So for me, I'm, I don't know, I'm always like, you can't use that as an excuse, but what you do have to do is make sure that the people that are within the company currently are ready for someone that's different to come on board. Because if they're not, it will be very apparent when that person comes to join the business and they won't stay.
0: That's the other side of the coin. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It makes one wonder if D&I can be a consideration for a startup, you know, it's moving fast. Don't have uh, the organizational bandwidth to consider hiring uh, less than the sort of standard that we need to be able to maximize our investors' dollars or maximize our our operational efficiency. Someone listening is saying, "What a what a what a double standard or what a blind um, perspective." There aren't uh, qualified and diverse candidates, right?
1: I guess I should. I should say, I don't want people to think that there aren't qualified diverse candidates because there are plenty of qualified diverse candidates. What it is, is that, you know, whenever I've talked to someone within the renewable energy space and they're looking to hire, even if they're looking to hire an analyst, which is an entry-level role, they'll say, oh, we want two to three years of experience in renewable energy. Right. (laughs) And I'm like, what? Well, how do, it's just like when I was coming out of, College, a lot of the jobs wanted you to have four to five years of experience, but then no one would hire you so you could get the experience. So it was like a double edged sword where you want me to have this experience, but no one is willing to take the chance to hire me for me to get that experience. So I'm stuck. And when people feel stuck, they just digress and they go into a bubble and they stay there because that's now their comfort spot. Because whenever they try to go outside of that, people make them feel very uncomfortable or make them feel inadequate.
0: What other common misconceptions or barriers are apparent with, uh, with regards to the job description? The just poorly scoping the job with when you are also saying, I want to hire for diversity and inclusion.
1: So I would say that the job descriptions are often a turnoff from the years of experience to also the degrees that are needed. I talk to companies quite often for instance, developers. I've talked to companies and they're like, oh, we need a developer that has a bachelor's degree. And I get it to an extent, mm-hmm. but there are developers out there that I've spoken to that literally are the leading developers in their company. And they have a high school diploma, never went to college, but they know everything about development and can teach everything about development. But yet they will be some of the same ones that will give a job description that says we need a bachelor's degree. I think for me, and I think for a lot of companies, and not every company is going to have the capacity to do it. Um, but I've told people, if you want to attract diverse talent, like, yes, maybe they have to come in at an entry level, but start early, start with an internship and teach them something for two to three months over the summer, where maybe it's not your busiest time, or maybe it is, and you can have them do some of the tasks that are needed for the basic role and for them to get a basic understanding of the position and then offer them a full-time position so that now they know, okay, when I graduate high school, if you do an internship for high schoolers, uh, when I graduate high school, I know that I can go to this job and start as an analyst and work my way up because maybe they don't see a college degree in their future. Maybe they can't afford a college degree, which is majority of the case with many diverse candidates. So that's something that Companies can do, but they can also do internships for people that are actually an undergrad. I, I knew nothing about renewable energy, and I'm 34 years old. Now I talk to people that are in college and they know so much about it, and I'm like, this is amazing. But there are so many other people that don't know about it, and the only way that they're going to know is for someone to go and teach them. So our professionals should go into high schools and colleges and talk to them about the renewable energy industry and get them excited about changing the world and changing the environment and doing something about climate change. And then that excitement will literally feed people. And then they'll be like, I wanna be a developer or I wanna be a construction manager in the solar industry. And you're like, wow, well, let me teach you how to do that because now they're excited about it. Now they're willing to learn quite a bit. And when you get them when they're young and hungry, you can teach them anything.
0: So true. Uh, And, and you know, what's funny is there are, there there's funding out there to even to, uh, to pay for these types of uh, career oriented trainings or, or talks or what have you. Does hiring for diversity and inclusion take
1: longer? A traditional role? Yes. Just it's, statistics show that there's not, (laughs) there's not a lot of diverse candidates out there. Oftentimes when, when someone comes to me and they say that they want to hire a diverse candidate by diverse, they mean a female.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, That's my my next point. That's my my ax right there.
1: Yeah. So when you, when you think of how many females are in the industry itself, you cut it by more than half, right? You look at the sector that I'm in, investment banking and private equity that may be one in every 20 people. So the numbers are like, especially if you're looking for someone that's a senior. So if you're looking for a VP within the investment banking or the private equity space, that means that they've spent very bare minimum five years, I would say, in a very intense environment and role and male driven and dominated, that a lot of women naturally being the nurturing and emotional and caring individuals that we are, can't take being in some of those spaces. Shy
0: away from it. Yeah. Yeah. That boiler room environment. Yeah. And that's not to say, by the way, that there aren't women. Yeah. That there aren't women who uh, who pony up and don't shy away. It's just that the proclivity is yeah. towards not embracing that environment. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. I ask that because I feel that some people will say, oh, we've got to hire this role. We've got to hire it in the next three months. And also because it's the soup du jour, we're going to hire for diversity and inclusion because lo and behold, we're all basically middle-aged white men in the executive team. And we've got two token women. And uh, yeah, we don't have any black people. So can you help us with that? What does that first conversation sound like with a hiring manager who's stuck in that position?
1: It sounds awkward.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I bet. I can imagine. Um. <laughs> Do you start with what does diversity mean?
1: I do. I I oftentimes ask them what diversity means to them so that they can put it in plain English what exactly they are looking for in the hire. And I also ask them what does inclusion look like? Because it's one thing to hire a diverse candidate. It's another thing to make them feel included. And that is the bigger piece of it. I don't know. I think I, I asked... Ask different different questions, like you know, about the way that they work, their work streams, some of the processes that they have in place, the type of tools and resources that they have from a career development and learning perspective, um, what training looks like. Those are probably some of the main the main. Yeah, and so you start
0: looking to see what resources they're working with. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Well, one resource they could be working with, uh, or even if they're just in job. Uh, Seek Mode is an organization that you've started working with and that Kristen, a good friend of ours, Kristen Graff, uh, runs. Is this this organization, RISE, Women in Renewable Industries and Sustainable Energy? I think I got that right. Did I get it? Yep. Okay, good. Kristen won't uh, lash out at me for saying it (laughs) wrong. You're now uh, on leadership in LA. Can you tell me about the work that you're doing with RISE?
1: Yeah, Um, so I've been with RISE now since last year. I sit on the board as the director of professional development. Um, so it goes pretty well with what I do in my role at GQR. But we put together different programs that are meant to help women within the industry from a career development perspective, but also from a networking perspective and an information perspective. So educating them about different factors of the space. We have, you know, women that are in college and looking to graduate and enter the space, all the way up to executives in organizations that really want to be a part of mentorship um, and programming that's dedicated to women in the sector. So we've done programs kind of across the board, like we've done a program on, we actually put together a mentorship program. So it's a six-week program on a local level to connect, you know, one mentor with two mentees that maybe they have similar backgrounds and experiences, but they have the opportunity to learn from each other. Um, We've done meditation programs. We've done like social hours where you literally just have the opportunity to meet other women within the group, especially since we're virtual now. Um, We've done different like breakout sessions um, where we talk about motherhood and renewable energy, or we talk about, um, you know, how to focus on career development during quarantine. Or wow. we talk about personal finance. We actually have a personal finance workshop coming up. So excited about it. Um, yeah,
0: please share the link in that because uh, I know there are some yeah. RISE members, lots of RISE members who listen.
1: Yeah, I will. Um, so we just put together different programs that we come up with, but also that we ask our members what they would like to learn about or what they would like to see. Um, we're going to be putting together an energy policy workshop as well um, for women that want to learn more about how policy affects the industry um, on a higher level, Very but also cool. on a local level.
0: Very cool. RISE is such an awesome organization. Yeah. Well, in that in that regard, I'm, I'm sure that you find, and we opened uh, this up a bit earlier, uh, you come across lots of folks within RISE and otherwise that are asking you for career change advice with the focus on renewables. What specific advice would you give someone that is looking to make a career change?
1: I tell people to network. <laughs> I think it's a, it's an old tool that many people don't do, um, which is literally just reaching out to someone that's in a position that you want to be in and ask them how they got there. Some people would say curiosity killed the cat, <laughs> but I think um, curiosity is what leads to opportunity oftentimes. So just making sure that, you know, if you're interested in getting in renewable energy, um, speak to people that are within the industry and ask them what they do. And ask them how they got to where they they are um, and ask them what tools or resources they would recommend to you, because obviously, I recruit in the space, but I'm not a renewable energy developer, or I'm not a construction manager, I'm not in private equity for renewable energy, so I only know so much. Yeah. Um,
0: do you make a lot of connections there? do you do you connect folks with that with that kind of ask?
1: I do. Um, uh-huh. I'll also tell them, like, hey, reach out to this person. Um, yeah, you can tell them Ebony sent you. Reach uh-huh. out to this person or reach out to this person. Or if it's more of someone that needs like mentorship, then I may connect them to someone that I've worked with previously and say, "Hey, I really think you should meet this this young woman. You know, she does this and she's looking for a mentor, and I really think that you specifically would be good for them." And oftentimes, the relationships that I have with people, they're like, "Okay, Ebony." <laughs> Since it's you telling me, I'll do wow. this.
0: So um, I've, I've got a note here for advice, uh, is to get yeah. a recruiter in your corner. Oh, yeah. I can't tell you how much of a difference it's made in my life, in my life, my career. And more importantly, in the careers of many people that I know, you know, in, in my field. And this is uh, not lost on someone like Ebony, who kind of, I mean, a lot of your work is reliant on referrals. You know i have a good friend chris terzo he's been on the show uh, as a recruiter he's up in santa cruz does an amazing job uh, he fills out a lot of roles for developers like Origes. and you know there was a long time where anytime somebody called me it, just to say like i'm i'm new i'm on the street again i'm looking for a job i would just shoot an email to chris and connect them right he just built like he built such strong and has and he's a close friend he built such strong trust that i knew he was going to take care of them there were lots of candidates by the way that he referred to other recruiters and that he said, I'm sorry, I can't help you. But you got to get a recruiter in your corner.
1: I tell people that all the time. And even I, I get reached out to by so many people. And I, if you're listening, I apologize if I haven't gotten back to you. <laughs> um, but oftentimes I would tell people, look, I don't recruit in this space directly anymore. But tell me what you're looking for real yeah. quick. Um, and I'll connect you to another recruiter that I know. I think some people don't don't think that they that recruiters even talk to each other. And I'm like, I have so many. I have literally competitors that are my friends. Totally, because at the end of the day, we're doing the same thing.
0: Totally, you and I talked like Catherine, who is uh, you know mm-hmm. East Coast white version of you, um, <laughs> is uh, is she's focused specifically like you are uh, on hiring into renewables for diversity and inclusion. You both are participating yeah. um, in our in our various programs, including the career summit. And there's this there's this sense that an A like I don't want to be in sort of in debt or caught in the trap of a recruiter constantly following up with me not really sure how to engage with a recruiter. That's probably another conversation that you and I should have to help people understand like, what does it actually look like to engage the recruiter And yeah. Cause I think people feel like there is this sense of obligation and, uh, and they don't want to feel like they're in some way indebted to you for the help that you've given when the, the opposite is true. Like yeah. you, I, most of the recruiters I know, like we, we pour into people because we want to help
1: mm-hmm. and
0: because we believe in the karma that what you give, you get. I want to do a separate conversation. We're going to run out of time here, but I think we're going to have to do a couple of follow-up calls uh, to to dig into some more of this stuff because it's just, uh, I you've got such wisdom in your in your young 34 years. But is are there any books specifically that have helped you? I know that you're an avid reader. Books that helped you in learning about the space or learning about career change and clean energy or just broadly that you'd say, gosh, everyone should read this book?
1: So I'm going to choose them more broadly. One. It is a book that I have, <laughs> I've actually listened to it because it's an audio book. And it's something that I listened to right as we came into quarantine. And it's a book called The Power of Self-Confidence by Brian okay. Tracy. For those that may have never read the book, it is truly a book that tells you how to tap into your own self-confidence. But it's a book that tells you it doesn't matter what the world is thinks. It doesn't matter what the world says. It doesn't matter what's necessarily happening around you. Mm-hmm. What matters is what you believe in and what you believe you can do. And there's so much power in your thoughts and your mind and your words. And if you speak and think positivity, then that is what you will embody.
0: What was the name of that book again, so I can make sure I grab it?
1: The Power of Self-Confidence.
0: Well, I want to ask a parting question that I haven't asked before as a parting question, and it's inspired by the conversation you and I had uh, in lead up to this interview. Uh, what would your TED Talk be about?
1: My TED Talk would be about resilience. And I think that that word is probably thrown around quite a bit, um, especially during a time like now, but I I think back on my career and mm-hmm. just my life, and I think about all the crap <laughs> mm-hmm. that has come my way that I've gone through. And there was a point in my in my career when I was just turning 30, um, shortly thereafter, where I went through unemployment um, due to a massive layoff. And it was during that time where I learned that resilience is all you have sometimes. And it's just that thought to pick yourself back up. Like no matter what, just pick yourself back up. And during that time, I started my gym membership. I got in the best shape ever. I created websites for people. Wow. <laughs> I created a website for a dentist in Ohio. And I tapped into like my creative side to say, you know what, maybe I'm just going to be an entrepreneur. Um, obviously, that didn't last, but it definitely it definitely showed me what I was capable of. And it showed me just how important resilience is and not allowing whatever may knock you down to keep you down.
0: Well, there are so many people who find themselves right now knocked down and looking for work. And in today's economy, the clean energy sector is one of the thriving and fastest growing and biggest job creators uh, globally and certainly here in the United States. I would encourage all of you, not only uh, dig in to what makes you tick, uh, with so many of the wonderful pieces of advice that Ebony gave here, but reach out, reach out to Ebony, to me, to Catherine. If you need help, if you need advice on how to get back on track, how to get back on that horse, you want to switch into renewable energy, but you're just not sure how. Uh, we've got uh, we've got your back. Uh, we've got the Career Summit and all of the resources that are coming out of uh, the Career Summit in ways that you can participate uh, in our case study groups and in our uh, our coaching, but. Uh, there's also wonderful people like Ebony Seymour, who is the Associate Vice President at GQN uh, and is a staunch advocate for you and for those like you who want to make a career change and make it matter. Ebony, thank you for joining us on Suncast.
1: You're very welcome. Thank you, Nico.
0: Whew, that was a lot of fun diving deep with Ebony Seymour. Thank you so much, Ebony, for the deep wisdom that. You've shared with us today and thank you as well for taking time out of your busy day and staying all the way through to the end. I hope that you are as saturated as I am with all the wisdom and knowledge that Ebony was dropping during that episode. And if you're eager to keep learning, well, then you, my fellow philomath, can go find all the resources and highlights from the conversation that we have here with Ebony, along with the social media links, book recommendations and so much more at the blog, mysuncast.com. You can also learn more about our amazing sponsors and dig into the back catalog. While you're there, why don't you take a couple of minutes and give us feedback in our listener survey. It always is so informative and I do read each one of them. So please take the time to fill out the survey and I cannot thank you enough for that. If I had one more ask, it would be to please tune in next week where every Tuesday we'll bring you a thoughtful segment from something we've been doing throughout the week to try and give you tactical advice and insight into what's happening in the world of renewable energy or how you can apply skills to increase and amplify your own career path. And every Thursday, just like this episode with Ebony, we bring you an executive in the renewable energy industry who can give you insight into the career path, the decision matrix, and all of the ways that leaders in this industry are helping elevate the game and invite you along the pathway. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.